welcome to the Caring Congregation podcast, where we seek to educate and equip pastors, congregational care ministers, or CCMs for short, and church laity to create a culture of care in the church and community. I'm Reverend Joy Dister-Dominguez, your host and producer of this podcast. In season five, we're talking all about the intersection of care and social justice. So today's episode is the first part of my conversation with J.J. Warren. So if you haven't heard JJ, you're in for a real treat. He's a rising star in the United Methodist Church who is passionate about the future of the church, a place where all belong. He works tirelessly to advocate, educate, inspire uh, for people to just be the church. And I would call him a modern day prophet. I am grateful for his time and energy, and I know you'll enjoy this conversation. Now, just a little bit more about JJ. He is a public theologian, speaker, advocate, and author of Reclaiming Church, A Call for Action for Religious Rejects. After making an impassioned plea for the inclusion of LGBTQ plus persons at General Conference in 2019, JJ's speech went viral and his advocacy has been covered by multiple news agencies. JJ has earned a master's in divinity from Boston University School of Theology in 2022 and a bachelor's of arts from New York's Sarah Lawrence College in 2019, where he studied religion and creative writing. This fall, in October 2022, JJ will begin a PhD in advanced theological studies at the University of Vienna in Austria. JJ is also a certified candidate for ordination in the United Methodist Church and the founder of Executive Director of Young Prophet Collective, a 501c3 nonprofit that seeks to equip and empower a global community of young religious leaders who use their voices for liberation. I am incredibly inspired by JJ, and I hope that you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. Take a listen. Well, welcome, JJ. We're so glad to have you on today's episode. Thank you. It's so great to be here. Well, we have so much to talk about. And uh, first, I think just to give our audience uh, a brief overview uh, about yourself and your call to ministry, where you currently are in the process. Yeah, um, I so I. I've been a certified candidate for ordination in the United Methodist Church, which is our very long and fancy title for, I think I want to go and be a pastor one day um, and be affirmed by a committee of lay people. And so I've been a certified candidate for ministry for five years. um, And most of that time was in my home conference in upper New York. Uh, So when people think New York, it's, it's the rest of New York. It's not the city. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, the I cold like to think, part up north. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Canada's our backyard, like mm-hmm. that part of New York. Awesome. So beautiful, though. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So beautiful place to visit. Um, and so I, but I recently transferred to my candidacy to the New England Conference um, because we still have a bishop who wouldn't ordain um, me as an openly gay man. Um, and so, yeah, I, I'm continuing in the process. Uh, and so I hope to very soon, uh, be commissioned as a provisional elder in the Methodist church. Wonderful. Wonderful. Did you always feel the call to ministry growing up or where did that come from? Yeah, I was that nerdy kid that liked to spend most of his time at church. Um, but even while I was spending most of my time at church, 
I, I didn't think being a pastor was very cool. Um, and obviously you've made it look cool with the podcast. <laughs> I <and> love that. <laughs> so, so I, I grew up wanting to be an actor and, um, you know, that's what I wanted to do. And even into high school, um, and I applied mostly to acting colleges and yet at the same time, I, I was feeling torn because I was, you know, really connecting, always connected with church and now was had the opportunity to be in more leadership um, and to be a spiritual life coordinator at our summer camp. And so I, in the midst of that, I, I was sitting beside the lake at camp uh, and for the first time I, I felt at peace mm-hmm. and I realized in that moment that to be a pastor was really what I feel called to do uh, and where my passion is. And so I, I went from that moment in my senior year of high school into college with this new sense of peace uh, and affirmation in my calling to be a pastor in the church. Wow. That's awesome. I want to point out though, to all of our pastors listening to this, I think that's so important that you said that you have had this call, like, cause I did too, as a little girl, right. Four or five, six years old, I didn't know how to articulate that. And I think mm. so often as pastors, we don't recognize our children, our youth have this call so young. Mm. How are we fostering mm. that? Mm. How are we inviting children into the church? Because they are the church. It's not like they're the church of the future, right? They're the church. Now they're part of the church. Yes. So, I love that you have that call. And then church camp being so important in your call story um, as it was in mine. And so oh, that's beautiful. And, and like you said, I, one thing I really love about the Methodist church and why I stay and my hopes for it is because we have the capacity to nurture calls in young people um, and to affirm them. You know, growing up, I was part of youth group, but then also our CCYM, our Conference Council on Youth Ministries. So, I mean, how cool to get together with youth from all across New York State and get to plan worship and big events together Mm -hmm. and really have power given to us to say, you know, we're not just going to have you be the one token young person on our church council. No, we're going to let you lead right now. And and that was really a gift from the church. Oh, I love that. That is beautiful. That is beautiful. So most people know you from February 25th, 2019. I'm going to insert the audio right now. So uh, a speech for J.J. Warren, microphone one. My name is J.J. Warren from the beautiful uh, Upper New York Conference, and I am a lay reserve delegate. I want to speak for this motion because I think there are subtleties that can slip through that we may not have been aware are unconstitutional. And for me and the younger generation that is the church now among you and who want to be the church together with you for the future as well, we desire a church that seeks the justice of God, a church that doesn't waste its money on a conference and come out with no decision because it was unconstitutional. The pain that would happen from this crucifixion of putting the nails in our Methodist church, the pain of this death 
might be worth a resurrection, but I'd like to see first if that can happen together without being called unconstitutional with whatever we decide. So I support this motion to put this before the Judicial Council so that we together can make a decision for the church, hopefully one that ensures that wherever we are, the United Methodist Church continues and allows people to feel their calling that God has put on their heart no matter whom they love. So that is my support. And as someone who has grown up in our church, as someone who is gay and goes to the least religious college in the US, my evangelism on campus has grown. We have brought people to Jesus because they said they have not heard this message before. They didn't know God could love them because their churches said God didn't. And so if we can be a church which brings Jesus to people who are told can't be loved, that's what I want our church to be. And that's the Methodist church that I love and that I want to be a pastor in one day. I want to be a pastor in the Methodist Church because I love our tradition. I love all of you. We are the church together. This is the body of Christ and we are stronger together than we are apart and no plan to separate us can unite us like God's love. We are the church. We are God's children. Let us be the church together. if we can be seated so we can proceed okay so take us back to that moment what did you yeah. feel what what was going through your mind were you planning on speaking no <laughs> uh, and that's the part that always surprises people i um so i was a reserve delegate um from upper new york which means that i didn't get to go in to vote on the floor unless another delegate came out. And I like that wording, someone has to come out. So I, I was sitting up there, you know, we're in this big football stadium in St. Louis mm -hmm. and it very much still felt like competitive sports, though mm -hmm. I don't watch competitive sports very often. <laughs> and uh, So we're sitting up there and it's the second to last day of the conference. And it's clear that there's been some political maneuvering sadly, some really well done political maneuvering uh, on the side of folks that want to exclude LGBTQ plus folks uh, from the church. And it was clear that the church was crumbling. The church that I knew that, you know, just a few days before folks are willing to open the door for each other to just mm -hmm. be in joy in the fact that we're part of a global church and enjoy those relationships. It was clear that this was deteriorating. Mm -hmm. um, and so as we sat in that place of pain on the second to last day, 
the traditional plan was up for a vote. Um, and a delegate from my conference texted me and he said, you know, if you want, when this comes up for a vote, I think at this point they were considering uh, whether we should talk about the plans for inclusion again. Um, uh, he said, if these plans come up again, you can take my seat. And so it was about the end of the afternoon. So I wasn't very hopeful of this second to last day. Uh, and I'm sitting next to this sweet old woman, older woman named Shirley. Uh, she's cracking jokes to keep things light. And all of a sudden I get that text that says, come down right now and you can have my seat. And so I look at Shirley and I say, they're putting me in coach. And she says, give them heaven, honey. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and so I, I sprinted down two flights of escalators. You know, my body frame is very intimidating. Uh, and so I made it past two security guards and uh, I emerge, you know, from this closet of a room onto this large auditorium floor where it feels like the whole world is watching you, even if they're not. Uh, and I take my seat at this little table with delegates from my area and I press my button to speak having no idea at all what I would say, but knowing that I had to say something that the church needed to hear from more LGBTQ plus folks. Wow. Well, the whole world was watching, <laughs> me included from Fort Worth, Texas. And so you stand up to the mic and you give passionate speech that is so moving. And by the end, everyone is cheering. Take us to that moment. Yeah, so, you know, I, I'm not normally one to cry in public. Um, and so just in that moment, I, I, if I've ever experienced the Holy Spirit, it was then um, just feeling the connection with everyone around me and this deep, deep well of meaning to say, you know, this is truly what I believe it means to be a United Methodist, that we are a church where a gay person like me on the country's second least religious campus, uh, my undergraduate campus, could be in a position to say to people who have been turned off by the church, you are valuable and God loves you exactly as you are, you know, to, to be able to cast that vision and share my story um, was really moving. And afterwards, some delegates from an area outside the U.S. where it's still illegal to perform same-sex acts, uh, they came up to me and they said, our bishop never shows emotion. And we're from a country where it's illegal to be gay, but he was weeping. He was weeping because for the first time he heard from an openly gay LGBTQ plus person. And, and for the first time he realized that perhaps he's been wrong. Wow, that's amazing. But just the courage to be able to speak up and um, just to, to share this moment. And I think that takes such courage. I Often, especially um, those of us um, who are, are not a part of, part of the community, we, for, for one reason or another, may not um, be aware of anyone uh, and part of the LGBTQIA plus community. And so we've not had that exposure. Um, I, mm. I mean, I remember even just growing up, my parents were always very, um, very loving to all persons. And I was taught to treat all people with love and respect in high school, 20 years ago, um, we, 
it wasn't something that was accepted, especially in my small, very, very, very small rural town to be gay and, or even to be questioning. And so I had some, some friends in high school that of course were picked on and called gay and I defended them. And I'm like, that's none of your business. And you're going to treat them with respect. I kind of had their back. And yet I go off to college to a large university and my first class I was sitting at a table with um, a person transitioning and I was able to, to hear their story. And I remember calling my dad on the way out of class. And cause we, I just had gotten a cell phone. I mean, this is, <laughs> I just got a cell phone and uh, I was like, just in awe. Like, I didn't even know that that was a thing. Like, I didn't even know that that was possible. And so I continued to, to learn and to ask questions and to grow. And as my eyes were, were opened, my heart was open. Um, I got to see God's creation in a whole new way. Mm. And I think what, what you did back in 2019, you are helping, you were, you were able to help people see God in a new way, right? Mm. God's mm. creation, the Imago Dei, mm. which is so beautiful and holy. And mm. um, so thank you. Thank you for, for sharing. And maybe I should thank, thank God for inspiring you to push that button to share. Yeah. And, and, you know, like you said, it's, it really, it makes God, it expands our understanding of God and it expands our understanding of humanity. And these two ideas are working together and expanding each other and, you know, having the opportunity like you had in college to be in relationship with people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it expands both of those. And, yeah. and I think that's why I hope one of my hopes for the Methodist church is that as a global church, we have that opportunity to make relationships with people who aren't like us. And even I, you know, get to learn more about people um, who, who I, whose identities I don't fully understand. Sure. And, and yeah, I, I, I really appreciate that. Um, and the mm-hmm. possibilities that we don't always take uh, in the church. And, and just knowing that, you know, in that moment, I, I got to share part of my story and realizing that I was there standing on the shoulders of giants that, you know, people have been fighting this fight and sharing their stories for so many decades in the church. And at one point I was walking around uh, in the cheap seats before I went on the floor and this gray haired woman looked at me and she said, I've been coming to these things since I was your age. And I just felt this weight in that moment, this weight. Oh, and I, you know, I feel it in my shoulders and in my body now just settle in the, you know, the fact that she's been here representing, sharing her story, trying to make the church more inclusive for folks for decades and realizing in that moment that I hope I don't have to do that. I hope I'm not gray and haired when we are still talking about queer inclusion. Um, And yet, if, if that's my calling, then, you know, I'm, I'm ready to do that. I I want to make sure that there is always someone there like that woman, that there are generations of people sharing their stories, helping us expand our community that is the church. Mm, Amen. I love that. I shared with you, you know, I have a 14 month old son 
and the, the books that I have for him, you know, J is for justice <laughs> and yes. the, the books that I have for him to expose him to, um, open his mind, to open his heart from, from birth. It, it gives me hope. And it also inspires me that, yes, we are making change. It's, it's that quote, you know, long obedience in the same direction. Mm. And that's why I hope my obedience uh, for, for the women that have gone before me mm. to fight, you know, that's where I carry that on to continue to fight um, for, for full inclusion. Mm. Um, and, and so back in 2019, if I remember correctly, correct me if I'm wrong, um, that vote failed, but it was by a a narrow margin. Am I correct about that? Yes. Just over 40 votes, you know, out of a global gathering. Wow. Mm. 40, 40. Mm. So what did JJ do that next day? Take me there. Yeah, I well that night uh, I I luckily I had a good support network uh, and that was really important for me to have folks um, who were there um, to listen and be supportive um, as everything in my life was blowing up at that point. You know, I had to learn how to tweet. Uh, I think I had like fifty three Twitter followers before that, and it was like friends from high school that I didn't talk to. And then it went to like 4,000. I was like, I don't know how to do this. <laughs> uh, so there was a lot of like, oh gosh, what have I gotten myself into? Sure. And uh, Lord, have mercy. <laughs> um, but, you know, I, I left and I, the quote from this Spider-Man movie uh, from his wise uncle just came into my mind and uh, has, has really guided me throughout this journey that I've had to um you know, explore as I've taken it, um, has been, you know, with great power comes great responsibility. And while I don't have institutional power as an elder yet, or any institutional role, um, you know, finding, recognizing that I have a certain privilege in being so public now that I can say things that pastors or queer people in places that are less safe um, can't say, and realizing that I I have to use this microphone to say those things for those people, with those people, to hear things from folks and amplify their stories in ways that they're not able to. So, yeah, it's been it's been a learning curve and quite uh, quite a journey since then. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode. I hope that you enjoyed part one and please join us next Tuesday, a brand new episode. We continue our conversation and you're not going to want to miss it. What an inspiration. I am so grateful to JJ Warren in this time that he has given us and this true um, treat and blessing to open our hearts and minds to a new way of thinking. JJ, thank you. We appreciate it. And we hope that you would check out his website, which is jjwarren.org. I will have all of that information and ways that you can follow him, especially on Twitter, um, in the show notes. So be sure to check that as well. If you'd like more information about the Caring Congregation, we have additional resources on our inf- on our website as well. You can reach us at thecaringcongregation.com. Be sure to share this podcast and like it, give us a rating, and uh, just helps people find this, uh, helps with the algorithms. 
And be sure to uh, tune in next week for the next part of our conversation with J.J. Warren. Until then, may God bless you and keep you.